Dear friends, may I, I have thanked Noel for that very generous introduction. Would say, may I say how Sabina and I have been looking forward to this visit for quite some time, and it has been a very fulfilling visit. I think that it has been such a great privilege to meet so many of the extended Irish family in so many different settings. Indeed, I think this is the 33rd address I've given since <laughs> the 4th of October. And uh, may I st in all of these, I have always begun by acknowledging the first occupants of this land who for tens of thousands of years negotiated with its possibilities and challenges developed one of the oldest cultures in the world. Some put it as old as 65,000 years. It was a culture that valued symmetry with nature, ancient wisdom and practical balances between ecology and life. I honor their elders, past, present, and emerging, and all of their descendants. Sabine and I are absolutely delighted to see so many from, as I would call it, Kuludar Neherin, uh, so many from the Irish community here this afternoon. As I've said, uh, when we came just over two weeks ago, I think that we will be bringing with us, I think both of us have discussed uh, the warmest memories of the great welcome and appreciation for this state visit by shown to us by every place we went. I have want to uh, join with, with, I want to say to, to Noel, Noel White, who was our ambassador here for four years, who stepped into the breach to accompany on this visit. I want to thank him personally, but I also want to thank through him all of those who in any way worked to enable this visit to that diaspora to be so effective. Those in the Department of Foreign Affairs, those in my own offices in Dublin, and those here on the ground. And indeed, as we might say in Irish, uh, I think uh, you have, if I speak Irish, I do so with a certain amount of feeling because when my own family came here originally in 1862, my grand-aunt, that was the language she spoke, County Clare was still quite a, an Irish-speaking area and people were busy about learning English so that they could emigrate after the famine. My grandfather's brother spoke fluent English he had, in fact, a year's training as a ploughman at an agricultural college, but the rest of his family didn't. Uh, I think from that, and in many cases, I have spoken in the course of those 33 speeches of the different waves of Irish who have come and engaged with Australia. I'm so pleased that so many of you, I think there are about 12,000 people in this general region who were born in Ireland, and I'm so pleased that so many of you of all ages are able to be here this afternoon. Earlier today, I met a new Irish citizen just four weeks old. And moving up from that, in fact, I think yesterday I met somebody in their 90s. It's a great, great privilege for Sabine and I 
to have the opportunity of meeting people of all ages who I still regard as members of the extended Irish family. I've had also the opportunity of meeting very many people who are responsible uh, for life in Australia. I want to begin by just thanking the Governor-General Cosgrove and his Prime Minister Turnbull for their invitation to me to come here and indeed for the warm welcome extended by them and others on behalf of governors and premiers of all of the states that Noel has mentioned that I have visited. I've had very many successful meetings with this country's leaders, uh, both in the realms of politics, art, business, tourism, academia and sports, making a strong case, for example, for the Irish bid for 2023 uh, for the, the World Rugby. <laughs> uh, but actually, maybe the most significant event was the one I started with in Perth, the Australasia GAA Games, when both the President of the GAA and myself were present uh, to see a fiercely fought-out set of finals between the men and women in both football and in hurling. But in the course of those meetings that I've had uh, with Prime Minister Turnbull, with Bill Shorten, leader of the opposition, and all of the others, we discussed, obviously, <coughs> we references were made to the multi-stranded nature of the Irish connection with Australia. But we were discussing, too, the present circumstances in which we find ourselves. Nearly everyone wanted to be to talk about Brexit, for example, and this implications for Ireland. But we were able to discuss, and I was able to emphasise, uh, the great opportunities that exist for both of our countries working together. Australia, for example, through Ireland into the European Union, but very particularly for Ireland in, as well as that through Australia into the Asian market. But in the end it is people that matter. And I think that we were able to share views on really every topic, including all of the, the different issues that arise in terms of sustainable economic and social developments. And the importance as well of taking account of the new circumstances in which we all are globally. All of these young people who are gathered here will be actually experiencing a world that will have a different and a better form of connection between economy, ecology and ethics. We discussed issues of migration, we discussed issues of how we are to live together sustainably and peacefully on what I've often referred to as a vulnerable planet. During the visit, I drew many, many different connections, uh, many connections that exist professionally. It is the case that some of the very earliest people who came here shortly after the end of the 18th century were those who were deprived professional advancement uh, in their own country on grounds of religion. And therefore, they came and they made distinguished contributions. I'm thinking of John Henry Plunkett, who took the case at Mile Creek, thinking of people, for example, William Hearn, and so on. I was able to speak about these, I think, at universities in Western Australia, in Western Australia, in Melbourne, and at the University of New South Wales, and on so many, many other occasions. But I think what's very, very important, if that was one group, another group was, of course, and we were able to visit this, was that there are people who came in voluntarily. There were people who came here, and there were people who were sent here. And it enabled me to deal with those who came from the convict ships, Approximately one-eighth of those who were transported were Irish. But also it's very important to remember the other seven-eighths who were drawn from the poorest classes in our neighbouring island in Great Britain. Our histories are intertwined, and particularly by such events as on Gorthamore. 
Remember in Gorthe Moor, the Great Irish Famine, why we were unable to name it for a long time. People spoke about it, the year of the great failure of the Parade, others. But it's only now that people at a distance from it are able to think of the significance of a million people dying at a time when food was being exported from the island of Ireland. And also how two million people would later have to flee from the island. And so many came, among other places, to Australia. In the case of the, the family members I have mentioned, born before the famine, 10 years, 10 years old and 12 years old during its worst year of 1847, and therefore they were part, I think, of that in Queensland, for example, between 1962 and 1968, 25,000 people left Ireland for Queensland, attracted by the Queensland Immigration Society and the work of Father Quinn. Many of them refer to it as a result as coming to Queensland rather than Queensland. <laughs> but I think one of the things about it, those assisted passages that he was taking at that particular time, is another wave. And it was very, very, very important to visit them in some of the places where they actually moved first. For example, here in Brisbane in 1891, 25% of the population were Irish, direct Irish extraction, and up in Warwick it was 32%. I think, in many cases, there are people who are Irish who came to Australia forced from their homes in desperation. Some came in chains, some found refuge in this southern land. And in Perth, when we arrived, just actually in that first 48 hours, we were able to unveil a, a, a statue to the Great Irish Famine. And of that, one of the side effects of that famine was, of course, the way it pushed the Irish family into exile all over the world. The result has been, let's be clear too, the most resilient population. Many had it very hard, but I think that they made the contribution of the Irish is in every aspect of Australian society. And this is something that was appreciated and welcomed with all of the office holders that I spoke, and in, of all sides, both in government and in opposition. And those early journeys, were, those early migrations, were not easy. For example, I think in the one in that time, people coming in the, in the 1860s, uh, the journey uh, was hard. Could leave in January and arrive on the second week in April. But when I visited Hyde Park's barracks in Sydney, I was reminded of some of the conditions that Irish people were met with on their arrival. The orphan girls and the thousands of unprotected females, as they were called, who were brought from the crowded workhouses in Ireland to the colony of New South Wales. And there would have prepared all of their gear needed, put in a box that they needed for the journey. And they would have been given moral instruction so that they would be of a better kind than the convicts who had come earlier. In Hobart, where women con female convicts waited in the middle of the night uh, through, the, uh, through, the, through the sea because there was no pier at the time. And there it was a great privilege, Maruth Ronahan, as President of Ireland, to be present at the unveiling of four magnificent statues by Rowan Gillespie. And they will join his, like his statues in Dublin and, <coughs> and in Toronto, powerful tributes uh, to the convict women who came to Australia. And then, of course, earlier on, I should have mentioned, I did visit Fremont, and there is, of course, the landing place of the last convict ship, the Hougamont, which included t t 62 Fenians, reminding us that not all of the prisoners were for the usual kinds of crimes, were political prisoners, and very particularly transported after the Fenian 
rebellion of 1867. There it was a useful to be able to think again and hear it recounted to me the significance of the escape of the last six on the Catalpa, and also to see the references to John Boyle O'Reilly. And for those of you who are here, I have to say that all of these Fenians set a very high standard in journalism. <laughs> they were able not only to write about their own visits, but also about so many other things. Visiting such events as I've been mentioning that illustrate our shared history. These are our forebears' experiences. But what was very important in this visit was to meet the people who are making a, such a, a great fist of things today. And also not only to hear of successes, which are easy enough to hear about, but also I wanted to pay tribute to all those who are stretching out a hand to help others. Coming at any time, at any age, to a new place in new circumstances, for which you can never fully prepare, creates difficulties and strangers, and some people are able to handle it better than others. And as President of Ireland, I want to thank any of you who have been of assistance and will be of assistance to any of our vulnerable fellow citizens or any person who comes to Australia in difficulty. I have to say too, there were opportunities that were not simply formal, that were very important. I was reminded just two years ago, Sabine and I joined the Prime Ministers of Australia and New Zealand at the ANZAC ceremonies in Gallipoli commemorating the centenary of those who died in that, that terrible war, a war that wiped out a generation in Europe. In the aftermath of World War I, of course, there were 6,000 people, 6,000 Irish citizens who served in the uniform of Australia. But very often in the aftermath of World War I, the reaction to the Irish involvement in Gallipoli was very different to that from those who had come home to Australia. I think it was very important that in these last years, particularly as we've been celebrating Ireland's the significant events that established the Irish state, that we've been able to reach out and include in our consciousness those who are driven by, many of them driven by poverty, some, for example, then from Dublin, not allowed their, their jobs back after the lockout of 1913, but they took part, and they are now part of our memorials as well, and it was a privilege to be able to lay a wreath in there and others who, who have for others who had lost their lives in that war. I think as well it has been a great pleasure to experience firsthand the importance, as I have already mentioned, in the history of, of uh, uh, Australia's first peoples. The traditional custodians of this land suffered great trauma and displacement with the arrival of European colonisers, and some of those who were responsible were indeed Irish people. But I was interested to learn of the initiatives to acknowledge that suffering, to restore dignity to the indigenous peoples and their rightful place in society on this land, and the move to constitutional recognition too. And Sabine and I were privileged to receive in so many places an introduction to the traditions and languages of the Aboriginal peoples, and to be able to witness how these traditions are being preserved and revived. And I have to say, I'm very much as I was just have that wonderful, thank those musicians for that wonderful re rendering. And I'm very much looking forward to the performance of the Aboriginal Centre for the Performing Arts after I finish my remarks. I've already mentioned sport. It is one of the ties that bind us. As I've said, I was delighted to attend the Australasian GA Games in Perth in just over two weeks. 
It's the first time I saw so much factor 50 being used by players. <laughs> just made it quite different from Ireland. And, uh, and also to meet so many of the players and the coaches and the support staff who are promoting our traditional games in Australia. I do want, as I'm here, to congratulate Trish Liamle, Common Lucas Gael Queensland, Dawson Meadow, Jan of Aka. I so want to congratulate Queensland GA, not just on their successes on the field, but to applaud their continuing stewardship of Gaelic games in this state. I have to say, uh, as well, that uh, when I came to, to Man now that we have, uh, in fact, a, 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 such ecumenism and sport in Ireland, I was delighted to meet with the Australian Rugby Union, as I've said, and make the case for the very, very powerful Irish bid for the 2023 Rugby <laughs> World Cup. And I mentioned as well the fact of all that preparations mean. I recalled a moment when a very, very person of the more orthodox intendancy within the GA said to me that he would collapse rather than see rugby played in Croke Park. <laughs> and I was present at the game when he was shouting his head off like myself, who we were doing very, very well. But the fact of the matter is that all of these stadiums are now available as part of the, the, the Irish bid. And we very much look forward to that. I wish it well. We'll know Ilor Misana in the middle of November. I've had very, very much such wonderful opportunities. I had a hundred and, and I had altogether 56 companies travelling with me who are interested in expanding and deepening their business in Australia. 21 of them for the first time. And many of these were being assisted and mentored because the IDA were travelling with me, Enterprise Ireland, Tourism Ireland. And I'm really very pleased at how we got on. Tra as trading nations, and I actually had the opportunity of emphasising, and some of them may be here, is that the contribution to the present healthy statistics on the Irish economy is entirely related to the export performance. It wasn't any magic that was sent to us from anywhere else or imposed on us. It was really the export performance. And those agencies worked very hard at, in a competitive international trading environment, and that was a great contribution. I met many of the Irish companies already operating here in Australia. And then I met many of the 50 Australian companies who are operating in Ireland. And I'm delighted to see that there is a strong spirit of innovation and there are many, many opportunities for both of our countries in the future. We call those, I have often called them, Earlier today, as I come to the end, I want to say what a pleasure it was to have been received at Government House by Governor de Jersey. And I thank him for his hospitality. And I want to thank the people of Queensland for their hospitality. That was the case everywhere we went in Australia. But I've been touched by the welcome that we have received here. And I have to say as well, as I'm coming towards the, the end of this particular trip, the joy of seeing many familiar faces. As I've said yesterday, I had the opportunity, like so many had, and so many others would wish to have. I've said to young people as well, how much a difference it makes when people at home can now use the new technology to be able to see their faces at home. And I made reference uh, rather movingly yesterday to the fact when people were depending on the letter from Australia. And at that time in the 19th century, towards the end, 
uh, it, a letter would take uh, eight months and it cost sixpence. And, uh, but yet at the same time, a huge number tried, but people lost touch in a way writing to Australia that they perhaps didn't uh, with North America. I like to think it had nothing to do with dollars, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but I think, uh, I think I had the opportunity of visiting Warwick. And as I went around that graveyard in Warwick and again in Toowoomba, where my uncle is buried, uh, and the Warwick where my aunt and where my great uncle is buried, and so many of the family, and I saw all the names of the Irish, the names in the west of Ireland, but particularly huge in the case of Warwick, a huge number of County Clare names and so forth. And I wanted to say, in a way, their descendants have done so much uh, to contribute to the making of Australia. And they're so proud when you hear them singing the Australian anthem and being able to, at the same time, remember their own heritage. I, I think it was incredibly important uh, to, make, uh, to, to make those trips. And I think something as well. It means that really the distance should not stop us from staying in contact with each other. It is now easier, and I hope we will be able to care for each other in a, in a deeper way. I want to thank any organisation that is helping that. I think many generations came uh, to this country. We, must, we can only imagine what it was like, knowing that, you would never, that they would never see Ireland again. If today we have that technology, I think that it is so important that we use it well, and also that we stay in touch, and also when neighbours are coming and so forth, that the warm, welcome hand of friendship is extended to so many. To those of you who have done that, to those of you who are doing it, who will do it in the future, as President of Ireland, more Mokhtran Ahir and Gon Buikaslith, is to slim live us and cut on the shin at our fear of the Mapas not there. It is such an important part of the hospitality that is part of the personality of Ireland. I pay tribute to those community groups. I am mindful as well of all the groups who are working in the area. They work at particular times helping the Irish, for example, if you have a bereavement at home and you're far away. There's something you want to remember. I think that spirit is very, very important. I want to thank the Irish Australian Support Association Queensland for their valuable work. And I, I so strongly thank them for that. I think that for the last few years you may have, as in fact I have been well briefed on at the loss of your iconic Tara House. It was a heavy blow, a setback. But even more important was the more recent news, which I was glad to know, that that indomitable spirit of the Irish has prevailed. Uh, activities have continued, groups have continued their activities, and now new moves are being made, in fact, actually, to redress the situation that arose. You know, Concrete Coalition made the room to end. You know, when Bob Hawke visited the Oireachtas in 1987, I remember it well. I had just returned to the Dole after a temporary setback, and he said, uh, and he said, he said, outside Ireland itself, Australia is the most Irish of nations. And then he went on and he said, the Irish took up the opportunities presented to them, and contributed in almost every field to the creation of the Australian nation and the Australian identity. In Tim Lesh, I so strongly agree with him. And Sabine and I are very grateful to have had this opportunity to witness personally, and we look forward to meeting your good selves, 
but of being able to acknowledge the many contributions the Irish in different circumstances in different places in all of the generations have made to this great nation that make up the Irish community that is the Irish community of Australia and so we will leave this afternoon enriched by the experience we've had um, and grateful for the kindness shown to us and those travelling with me and confident that the ties of friendship and kinship between our two countries have been strong and I hope will have been deepened by my, my visit. And friends, countries do not have to be the same nor agree on everything. Good friends can bridge gaps, as I've said, of time and space and they can understand each other often because of their differences as well as by what they have in common. And that is so important. So on this last day of my official state visit to Australia, I salute the great friendship between our two peoples. I wish you all I so wish you every success and happiness and help above all else into the future. Is for that most warm welcome that you have given to us. Thank you very much. Slán Agus Thank you.